hello and welcome back to another episode of the Coda Career Podcast with me, your host, Cameron Blackwood. If you aren't familiar already, I'm an ex-technical recruiter who is now retrained as a software engineer. And this podcast is a place for me to give advice from both sides of the table and interview some really awesome and interesting guests who have a ton of insight to help you, again, from both sides of the table. My guest today is from the technical side of the table. He is a highly experienced CTO, co-founder, software engineer who's worked at startups, large corporates, some of the biggest tech companies in London. So he's got a ton of insight and is a really interesting guy. Uh, his name is Andrew Easter. Thank, thanks so much for coming on today, Andrew. Thank you very much for having me, Cameron. Nice to be here. Great to have you. Uh, so basically, the way the way I like to start things is just to run through some quick fire questions. But before we do that, do you want to give like a very sort of brief rundown on who you are and what the listeners can expect of today? So yeah, I'm, I'm Andrew. I'm the uh, CTO at Claimer. Um, I've had a long career in, in, in technology, ne- nearly, must be nearly 20 years now. Um, and um, it's brought me to this day. Um, to uh, yeah, to be in this kind of CTO position, which is you know, which has been a, a baptism of fire in some in some regards, <laughs> um, but you know, it's a very rewarding experience. Um, Claimer is you know, we exist to, to 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 reduce friction for for companies in the United Kingdom to uh, benefit from government incentives, and you know, we're on a, a that is our our long term mission is to is to is to spread our wings even further than than the UK. But our focus right now is on uh, R&D tax credits. Very nice. So you're helping other innovative businesses uh, smooth their way to government funding, which is a really exciting, uh, exciting vision. And you're helping out other startups whilst also being a startup yourself, which is something people absolutely love to see. Yeah, yeah. It's, um, you know, the f- funny thing is people might say, uh, you know, you're just a, like a tax business or whatever, right? But, you know, you, you, you phrased it. As, at least as well as I as, as as I could, actually, you know, we see ourselves as a as a as a way for companies to to, to secure funding, you know, in, in a different way to how they, you know, different ways to how they may think they they can they can receive funding. And so, yes, yeah, it's, it's 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 a it's a very rewarding thing to do. Sounds sounds fantastic. And any uh, any sort of startup CEO should definitely listen up to the technical details of how Claimer works as well for later uh, later in this podcast. So on to the quick fire questions now, Andrew. And you already alluded to the amount of experience you have in this industry. So this should be a good answer. What was your first ever computer? My first computer was a BBC Micro. As in British Broadcasting Corporation. Uh, to be honest with you, I, I don't even, I don't even know whether whether, it, whether there is a correlation between those, those two things. But yeah, this is this is like um, this is like seriously old school, right? So it must be 30, 35 years ago or something. So interesting. And uh, so I, I guess no graphical interface there. That, that's all command line stuff. Yeah. Well, it was well. There were there was very very basic graphics, but um, yeah. I mean, I, I was doing. I, I, I actually kind of learned coding on that, but that's probably something we'll come on to later in this in this discussion. I imagine that's pretty cool. Though. So th- you said thirty five years. So I, I guess we're talking eighties, early nineties there. Yeah, yeah. So, so this, 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 this was hot stuff in the eighties. This was when you were still like loading up basic games on via tape rather than disc. So, uh, yeah, I saw that on a. Um... There's that guy on YouTube, Angry Video Game Nerd. A few, one of his episodes from a few years ago. He uh, he played some games on on cassette tape, and I couldn't believe it. it was, I grew up in the sort of PS2 era, um, and uh, I never even considered. I, I guess obviously it's data, right? So you can store it in whatever format you want. It's just a weird thing to think about. Yeah, I mean this this was like it was kind of really frustrating at times because you would you it would actually you would take I don't know how many minutes like 
double-digit minutes just to actually load the game up, right? And if anything went wrong during that process, you'd have, you'd have to start again, right? So, yeah, this, this, this was kind of like early, early days, early days gaming. Makes you thankful for a solid-state drive, doesn't it, these days? <laughs> it does, uh, it does. What, what about uh, your favourite tech city? Because uh, I, I know I, I think you've mentioned to me before that you travelled a bit for work. Yeah, I, I, I think I'm obliged to say Croydon Tech City for this. Very nice. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm a well. I, I grew up in Croydon, um, and you know, claim claimers office. Um, although we're we're kind of a hybrid company these days, especially post pandemic. Our our office is in Croydon. Um, our founder is also our founder Adam. He grew up in Croydon. So uh, the, 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 the kind of the, the soul of Claimer very much is Croydon. Um, a few years ago, unfortunately, Croydon Tech City yeah, doesn't exist anymore as, 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 as a concept, but it was something that um, uh, it was a grassroots organization that existed in Croydon for a few years. Uh, and yeah, for various reasons, it no longer exists. But actually, this was actually, this is where I met, met Adam, uh, the founder of Claimer, about seven years ago and that's led to us then working together now so i have to say it's my favorite because it's got a nice backstory for claimer very nice and as a croydon native can you settle the uh long time debate is croydon part of london yes yes yeah so I've, I've had some people who say that it should be its own independent city uh i mean not on this podcast this isn't like a croydon specific podcast but i just mean in general people mm. because I, I lived in south london for a long time and um a lot of people have told me croydon should be its own like independent uh, independent city but um yeah interesting it's so big enough to be one yeah it is huge isn't it um but yeah so for those who aren't familiar uh those from outside the uk maybe croydon is is a big district in the south of london but uh not its own not its own city uh you've heard it from a croydon native himself uh <laughs> so i in, in terms of um when you are working in your favorite tech city are you more of a music or a podcast man music i would say yeah i, f- I find i find music is just a little bit more well less distracting i think i think if i'm if i'm listening to podcasts um when i'm working i, I probably will be more distracted it's, you know it's more more just a little bit more kind of verbal noise so i'm i'm more i'm more likely to reach for music what kind of stuff do you like to listen to when, when you're coding what's like your focus playlist what kind of genre i think it would vary depending on depending on what i'm working on Sometimes if I'm if I'm working on something particularly complicated, I, I probably wouldn't listen to anything at all. Or if I did, it might be like classical music without any without any vocals. But um, you know, for for all other times, a bit of rock music, uh, country music, yeah, a bit of folk music, that type of thing. Nice. Yeah, I like a bit of rock music while coding as well. That and electronic. It's. Uh... Good way. I, I, I'm trying to get into listening to classical music when I when I code more, because uh, because I've heard about the effects on the brain of how, how it makes you focus, and also I feel pretty classy when I do it, which is uh, which is always nice. Uh, <laughs> and um, what what about like when when you work? Would you consider yourself more of like an early bird or a night owl? What what sort of time of day do you get your best work done? I've always been, I'd say, a more of a night owl. I mean, and part part to be honest, yeah, that's now become somewhat enforced in my life because i i'm a i'm a parent of two children and in order to 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 ensure um that i can kind of meet all my life and work obligations uh, you know part you know i'm I'm almost naturally forced 
to spend to spend to spend time working in the evening. So, um, yeah, fortunately, I yeah that kind of suits me anyway. So yeah, that, I would say I'm a, a night owl naturally and also forcefully as well. <laughs> Very nice. And that's the great thing about flexible working. That's what I love about this career is the fact that, you know, it can fit around your responsibilities and everything like that. I mean, I say that as someone with literally like zero life responsibilities, but I imagine if I had more life responsibilities, it would be, (laughs) I'd really appreciate my flexible working even more. It does. It does. It does help a lot. Right. Um, I mean, someone said to me once uh, I was, I attended a management training and and, and the, um, the facilitator actually said there's no such thing as work-life balance there's just life mm. and, I, and i think you know so really all we're doing right is just trying to find ways to to, to satisfy all the, the you know the the obligations and you know that we have in our lives and and you know so flexibility in all parts of our lives comes together to us allow you know to allow us to, to manage our lives in in the best ways that we can yeah yeah, absolutely. And that's a, it's a really good way of uh, summing it up. And um, I mean, we're, we're talking about sort of tech as an industry. Was it something you always wanted to go into when, when you were a kid? Did you have like a dream job uh, that wasn't a software engineer? Or was it since day dot, you knew this is what you wanted to do? I wanted to be an airline pilot. Oh, nice. Actually. Yeah. I, 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 weirdly, though, I actually, through a period of time, I was scared of flying, which seems, which seems a bit <laughs> absurd, frankly, that, that I was an airline pilot. I want to be airline pilot who was frightened of flying, but um, yeah, I, I just, I was always fascinated with it. And I, I just always, it just it always felt like such a different and kind of unique vocation. Um, and, but yeah, that didn't happen. So I also, so I, I also really liked, I also did really like um, coding when I was young. Right. So I, I had a backup and that's the, and I've, I guess you could say I've ended up in the backup. Very, very nice. Yeah, I, I cycled through quite a few different dream jobs when I was a kid, but one of them was airline pilot. But uh, I must have been about seven when I found out I was colorblind. And it was a crushing blow in the opticians because that was literally in that probably six months of my life where I'd cycled into wanting to be an airline pilot. And I was extremely upset because uh, you can't be an airline pilot and be colorblind, um, which is probably a good thing uh for like radar purposes and that kind of thing <laughs> to be yeah, honest seeing as I can't, shame, shame, yeah i can't see about three or four different colors so it's pro- probably a good thing uh that, that i'm not in the skies right now uh for for would-be passengers of planes <laughs> um but yeah so so we, we talked about how you're into coding uh from a from a young age how did your how did that journey start was it the sort of thing where your parents encouraged you to get into it or did you discover it yourself and then i guess that ends up going to uh you went down the road of becoming an engineer as a full-time job my yeah my memory of this is that uh my my dad used to write code that he read out of a magazine he used to he used to type he used to type this the code into the bbc micro machine Mm. um and then yeah and then typically what these things were, were were like well, he was writing the code for me, I guess, because he, he would, he, these things in these magazines, they, they'd literally like in the magazine, they'd, they'd, they'd have all the code listing and you'd manually type it out yourself. And it would it'd be typically things like just multiplication tests and stuff. So he would write some code that would, that, that would, that would just, yeah, prompt, prompt, you know, a, a, an answer to, to, to a multiplication problem. Right. And I, and so I would then be able to use that, you know, run the program myself and actually interact with it that my dad had written. And so, I kind of then got interested in in how that worked and then started kind of writing my own 
programs, you know, rather than rather than reciting them from a magazine, I was I then actually thought, well, I can write my own things here. So I then, for example, got into writing like the sort of text adventure games and stuff like that, where you know it prompts you. It says, oh, you're currently standing in a in a in a in a castle or something, and you know, do you want to go? north south east west or whatever you know and stuff like that so i that, that was kind of how how it all kind of started just getting used to to writing simple kind of text-based games and and stuff like that that that's really cool and that's that's such an exciting way to get to get into it and that's something i've always wanted to do i literally have just never never thought to never thought to actually put it into practice so i definitely give that a go in javascript at some point because it's uh, definitely cheaper with modern toolings out there so that is really cool and that that magazine I, I absolutely love that writing out code for a magazine I'm so when I hear stories like that I'm so thankful I didn't write my first line of code until 2018 because <laughs> it sounds like it was much harder it, it seems ridiculous now to actually to actually say that um, but it seemed it seemed completely normal at the time yeah yeah, well, I suppose it's the best medium at the time, right? And, you know, people had to do that so we could get to the point where we're at now where we have this amazing infrastructure. And that's what I love about the technology community is the amount of open source tooling we have out there and the fact that people are always striving uh, to create a great ecosystem. And the people who are listening to this, who are learning to code, have access to uh, so many resources with just an internet connection. It's a fantastic thing. It's something pretty unique to our industry, I think. Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. And w- would you say the industry's... Would you say the industry's evolved a lot throughout your career uh, in the time you've been involved, or, or is it something that's it has the mentality always stayed roughly the same? Would you say? Well, I think, I mean, yeah, certainly in my entire lifetime of writing code, it's quite clear it's changed quite a lot. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah, because we're certainly not writing, you know, certainly not writing stuff out in magazines anymore. Um, but yes, yeah, so, I mean, my career started back in you know, post university, back in two thousand and three. Um. And yeah, I mean, obviously, yeah. I mean, a lot, a lot has evolved in that time. I mean, where, where, if, if you just see from, you know, if you consider like two thousand and three, this is pre, you know, pretty much pre-social media, right? So there was no, there was no, no Twitter, no I, potentially no Facebook at that point. I, I, Facebook two thousand and four. So yeah, it would have been pre-Facebook. Yeah. So, so I was at work when 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 people weren't so, you know, weren't just browsing Facebook. So <laughs> that's uh, that, that that says a lot. Um, but yeah, in terms of like the industry evolving, like obviously, I would say one one big thing is just how much more of a community it feels now. Because obviously, the more, the, the the bigger the industry has grown, and the more people who are working in it, the more that's kind of brought people together in a community. Um, and, you know, obviously the open source software scene is now exploded compared to what it was when I started. And and so now, you know, as a community, like we're, we're, we're all solving problems together and sharing solutions to those problems. And and what it means now, I guess, is that so many, so many common problems that in the past you would sort of end up having to just solve yourself. You know, you, you we were reinventing the wheel. I guess a lot because there was never a, really a, a particularly useful medium or you know, a, a viable medium to actually share the wheels we were creating, right? So um, now, now we're in a position where you know, with with you know the rise of open source and things like you know the, the platforms like GitHub to be able to share these things and you know uh, public you know uh, package libraries and stuff like. Now, 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 all of these useful creations, we are able to share them, and it, and ultimately, that speeds us all up 
uh, uh, how quick we can innovate and build things. Yeah, absolutely. And it's an unbelievable ecosystem. And like whatever you want to do, there's like a library out there for it. And there's always opportunities to contribute to open source. And I discussed this uh, a few weeks ago on my guests. And we, we were saying that, um, you know, anyone that's listening that is a beginner, uh, you can still contribute to open source. Like, yeah, no, you might not be working on React's core uh, code but what you can do is stuff like even just documentation like translation uh, clearing things up finding uh, finding errors like my first open source contribution was I literally found something spelt wrong um, in some code on some documentation so if you ran an example uh, it, it returned undefined when it was actually just because I think it was like not even a spelling error it was like a casing error or something like that um, and I submitted it to the uh, to the to the guy who was like running the the whole project and um, I was really scared to do it and I remember refusing to do it as a PR at first uh, and saying like just fix it yourself just so you know that this is the issue and this is a solution um, you can do it yourself I'm scared of breaking the whole code base and he found it very funny and luckily he gave me a lot of time and he was just like it's fine calm down I'll show you how to open the PR which is uh, just nice so that that's the story of my first <laughs> contribution to open source um, but yeah it's um, it, it's, re- it's really awesome and you can really just get stuck in like from zero years experience like your help is always required and uh you know it's open source is what makes the technology world go around yeah i, th- I think the other thing that's just you know it's that's nice about it right is not just the fact that this stuff is available but it it creates a very just like positive feeling about being part of part of that ecosystem because it i always sort of feel like i don't know like really I guess dumbfounded by 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 the by the um, generosity of, of people in the community to, to be doing this, to be making these contributions, right? Because it just makes you feel part of something special, um, which is another great part of being part of this industry. Because you do, because you can feel part of that, and just and you know, just it gives you like a a nice warm sense of humanity in a way. Yeah, absolutely, I totally agree. And there are some absolutely legendary developers uh, like, um, I'm trying to think, top of my head, uh, Evan Yu, uh, the uh, the creator of Vue.js is literally, it's just his full-time job and he just works on it. And, uh, you know, he doesn't really, he, I mean, he asked, he asked for a bit of contribution from some companies just to help him with his living costs. But in another industry, he would just sell that as like proprietary software and become a multi-millionaire, but he doesn't. And it's. I think it's very admirable that people people will, will, will do that with their talents, and uh, it says a lot about this industry and uh, the amount of open source learning platforms there are out there. Are, there is too many for me to list. I'll put some in the description, uh, of course, for people that are curious. But uh, it, it's unbelievable the amount of work people put into to helping people out, and it's a really a great advertisement for the industry. The the next question um, I had actually was was more about uh, the last few years um, of your career. Most recently, um, you've gone from working in larger organisations to uh, being more gravitated towards startups. What was the motivation for you to make that switch? Because a lot of people that are listening are trying to decide right now: should I work for a small company or a large company for my first couple of roles? What's your perspective both on yourself making the switch, albeit as a more senior uh, member of staff, and uh, what would you advise to other people who are um, considering weighing up the two options? Yeah, so what I would say is it, it comes down to, I mean, I, th- I think this is, there, is, there is obviously an individual element to this. You know, what works for some people obviously won't work for other people. But, I mean, in my, in my case, I kind of had it in my, in my, on my agenda to, 
to put myself in environments earlier in my career where I could learn as quickly as possible. And I felt that the, the types of company that would be able to support me on my learning journey would be larger organizations. And, and this, is, this is something that actually is quite, quite you know, relevant. You know, now I'm in the startup world is this recognition of, you know, especially when you're in a sort of leadership role and you're hiring is, is that you're very conscious of, of, of not wanting to hold people's careers back. And especially in a startup, it's very, it's very difficult for us to, you know, for example, to, to consider hiring very junior developers, for example, because we don't, you know, not, 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 not because we're saying, oh, you know, they're not capable of contributing or whatever, but more that we're just saying, you know, we want, we want to be in a position where if we're hiring people, that we can support them to, to, to achieve their goals. And, and, and if, and, and, you know, as a startup, are we able to really say that we could, that at this stage, we, we can help juniors to achieve their learning goals? The answer is probably is 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 probably no, um, and so certainly I, I sort of felt I recognised that maybe at an earlier stage, um, and so I it, it was much more natural for me to to kind of seek larger organisations where they would have the capacity to be able to support people on that learning journey. So, but of it, but as I as I progressed through my journey, some of the frustrations I guess of working for a larger organisation in terms of the speed of decision making. Um, yeah, the autonomy and empowerment that you, you can have just to, to get stuff done, and, and you know you're not you're not kind of designing by committee the whole time. That that became you know those things, those types of those types of constraints. At least I at least I see them as constraints. Were, were, drove me towards the startup world, where I could take all the experience that I've I've picked up and, and you know all the valuable learning I've, I've I've been lucky to build throughout my career and, and actually apply that in in an environment where you know, a fast moving environment where we can make decisions quickly and iterate fast on, on innovation. Yeah, absolutely. That's a, that's a very interesting perspective. And I think for, 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 for people who are, um, you know, learning, it, it's good to have the, the structure um, there. But, you know, as well, I think the challenges you get as part of a startup are, are, are really unique. And you can still sometimes face those in a larger organization but um i i mean i've worked in a mix of both in technical and non-technical roles and uh i i honestly i enjoy both and i think most people uh i'm, I'm not uh, I, I think you'd probably agree with me on this most people it's for most people it's a good experience to try working at both at some point in their career because you get a different perspective on things and often after you've done one you want to do the other uh it, it, uh, a lot of the time um i mean i'm saying that as someone who's kind of at the mid-level uh, point in my career i, I I'm not a senior, but um, yeah, that, that's definitely uh, the way I, I found things. And I guess while we're, while we're talking seniority, you've obviously risen the ranks yourself uh, up to CTO. What's been your experience? What lessons have you learned from taking on that CTO role in the last few years from being a developer? Well, yeah, it's a, good, it's a really good question. Um, I actually saw, I saw something on LinkedIn a couple of months ago. Someone had, um, someone had written a, co- you know, a comment on there just saying, Bigging up CTOs because they're the people who make or who create a facade of of of, of structure and <laughs> normality and and that everything's great, but actually behind the covers everything's total chaos, right? So um, you know it's not you know it's a little bit of an exaggeration, but the point is that you have to as a startup CTO you have to be willing to to accept and embrace a degree of chaos in, in, in how things 
play out, you know, at that early stage, because you're always balancing, you're always balancing like the kind of the future sustainability of what you're building versus just, you know, getting product market fit, you know, and, and, and being commercially sustainable. And yeah, get, obviously to, the, the quicker you can find product market fit, the better and, and, and you know, find, and therefore finding product, product market fit requires fast iteration. And sometimes that means making certain compromises along the way. You might, you might, you might not be able to put together the most ideal solution to every problem that you, that, that you, that you face. Um, so it's about managing, managing chaos um, to some extent. Um, and I think that's the, the difference between, you know, between where I was before and what I'm doing now is just, is, is actually not so much that, you know, there's not so much that there isn't chaos elsewhere, but it's just suddenly when you're the person who's actually responsible for, for, for making sure that chaos doesn't descend into just, you know, oblivion basically is, it's is, is certainly an interesting challenge. Yeah, certainly sounds it, and I think there's a lot of plates to keep spinning and uh, expectations uh, to, to keep. So it's a so it's a tough role, but a rewarding one. Uh, I, I can certainly imagine. And if you if you could time travel back to your first day as a CTO, what do you think you'd say to yourself uh, now? Now having kind of lived the life, what what advice would you give? Yeah, I guess I would just I would just um, just tell myself, don't be don't beat yourself up when things aren't. All, all, all great, you know, and, and be, be willing to, yeah, be willing to embrace uncertainty and, and, and a little bit of chaos here and there. I think that's, because I think the thing is, I think the problem is, is if you go in with expectate with the wrong expectations, then, you know, you're going to find yourself more stressed and, and, and kind of questioning whether you're creating value and whether you're, you know, essentially whether you're just a, a, a massive imposter in, in in what you're doing, right? So, I, th- I think the, I, you know, and I think I see, I see quite a lot of imposter syndrome generally amongst a lot of people in in the technology industry, and I think it, to some extent that is just down to the expectations that maybe we naturally set for ourselves. You know, we set the bar quite high, and so we judge ourselves quite critically. And so, yeah, I think I would just tell myself to chill out a little bit and, and not, not, not get paranoid about, about not, you know, about, about not, you know, about things not being perfect. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. And that's, that's brilliant advice for life uh, as well, really. And it's something I'm, something I'm trying to work on myself. And I'm so glad you brought up imposter syndrome as well, because from what I've heard, that affects every developer, no matter where they are in their journey at some point, you're going to get some imposter syndrome and, if you, if you find that happening to yourself and you're looking at everyone else and, you know, if you're listening now and maybe you're in your first dev job or you're still learning to code and you're seeing people around thinking, oh, wow, they're so smart and all the rest of it, you know, everyone everyone gets it and, um, you know, you're, you're, you're really capable and everyone can be a good engineer. Um, you know, it's a, it's a confidence thing and a bit of imposter syndrome is in a weird way a healthy thing because it shows that you have the ambition to improve yourself um, but don't let it rule you is the advice I'd give to anyone suffering from imposter syndrome. Like you, you can do it and, um, there's enough resources for you to be able to solve your own problems and you'd be amazed at the code you can write and stuff for like a good confidence booster. I find with imposter syndrome is go, go back and look at your old code from a year or two ago, uh, or even a shorter time frame than that. If you're learning this code right now, um, one, one of my previous guests, Sam, who I worked with when I was a recruiter, uh, was actually joking with me about this because i sent him my first ever website 
And I was so embarrassed when Sam was saying about the website because the code is so janky, but I was so proud of it when I wrote that, um, you know, it was my first project and I'd been coding for about a month. Nowadays, I would be totally embarrassed by it because I've looked at conventions. They're all over the place. I haven't got a clue what's going on. Uh, the CSS is like some kind of like early 2000s MySpace disaster. But I was so proud of it at the time. But I look back on it now and know it's not very good. But like I had to do that to get to the point where I'm at now. And you've got to be able to walk before you can run. And that's really I've gone off on a tangent here. But uh, in, imposter syndrome, everyone gets it. And, and don't delude yourself into thinking that you're the only one that gets it because it is so hard. And, you know, if you're listening and you're struggling with it, just keep going is what I'd say. I, I, yeah, I think I think there's something I'd add to that would just be it's really important to recognize that as human beings, we often take for granted the skills that come naturally to us. And therefore, you, you, you basically, it's very easy to underappreciate your own skills because it, if, 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 if there's something you can do and it's just, yeah, it just comes naturally, then you don't, you don't actually consider that in your own mind or frame that in your own mind as, as, as a skill. And yet there's, 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 there's many other people who, who don't have that skill who are probably looking at you and thinking, wow, you know, they've got that skill. And so, and I think that's part of the, part of the reason for imposter syndrome is, is, is that is maybe a human, a human, that human element of, of taking for granted what you're good at and not, and, and therefore not, not valuing yourself because you, because you don't think that you, know, you think because it's, it's easy to you that therefore it's not valuable. And that's obviously not, not the reality at all. Absolutely. And, uh, and uh, an example that popped into my head and uh, uh, regular listeners to the podcast will, will know that Cam loves an analogy. Uh, but my analogy for this situation is it's like driving a car. Um, apologies to anyone that hasn't passed their driving test. But I was actually thinking this uh, last night when I was driving, driving home from Tesco, if anyone's curious. I was driving home from Tesco and I was thinking uh, it's really weird that like learning to drive was such a big deal and I do it without thinking well I don't totally do it without thinking obviously uh but I, well, I hope not I hope. <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah the streets of Edinburgh are no longer safe um but the <laughs> um but a lot of it comes quite naturally to you and you, you don't think about the little things and when you're driving a car and you're learning you just think about finding the biting point and all these tiny little things and like coding it is it, quite similar and um you know you People that can't drive are sort of in awe of it. Um, and certainly, I, I remember I was uh, my first driving lesson. I was really scared, uh, and nowadays it's kind of you know whatever. I'm not, I wouldn't say I'm like completely callous to driving. Obviously, uh, <laughs> um, I'm not sure about that analogy. Actually, <laughs> no, I think actually I think it is. I think I think I think it is a, a generally a pretty good one, Cam. Yeah, that, thanks, Andrew. You've, uh, you're being very kind. Um, I'll, I'll leave that in the podcast. People can use a good laugh. Uh, <laughs> um, cool. And uh, moving swiftly on, it, we're, we're talking about imposter syndrome and generally themes of growth. We're talking a bit hypothetically here. Say you had a relative that was maybe between the ages of like 16 and 19, and they're curious about getting into software as a career they maybe haven't really like they maybe written a bit of javascript or something um but they don't know that much about the industry um it's current year obviously 2021 what would you say to them right now what what would be your your uh kind of top top line advice uh for them what i would say and it's, this does actually come back to to one of your i think it's related to one of the previous things we were talking about and, I, and again it, i think there's an element of imposter syndrome, what well, it relates to imposter syndrome a little bit, is I think 
the industry can seem very daunting because there is a heck of a lot that you could know. Um, and I think there is a danger that people see that this is this enormous barrier. And, that, and actually, that maybe the tendency is from a behavioral perspective to therefore try to spread yourself very thinly in order to feel like you're able to have something useful to say about all these different things. Whereas I think in, in, in reality and what companies are looking for, you know, would be someone who's, who's, who's kind of more, more niche skilled and, and can actually be productive um, in, in something more specific rather than being a generalist. It's okay to be, you know, to, 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 to be, you know, to focus on a niche. Um, and I think, and that, you know, so I would say to someone like, don't, don't, don't get, don't get bogged down thinking that you need to learn everything. Focus on, 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 on skilling up in, in something more specific. Um, because that, because that, because that, that's, that's manageable and it's, it's just not manageable to try and be good in everything. And, and frankly, as you go through your career, that will always be a thing. You know, it's, you're never, you're never going to be able to do everything. And I don't, in, in some senses, I think maybe the, the community as a whole could, could do a better job of, of making people realize that that is, that that is the reality. And that, you know, for example, like, you know, they're, they're, it is quite common to, to use the term terminology these days, full stack developer. I, I'm, I sit on the side of the fence where I'm a bit skeptical of that term, just on the basis that I don't, is that I think if you're a full stack developer, it almost, it's almost impossible to be a full stack developer and, and not, and not be a generalist in some, in some regards, because you can't, you know, you can't know everything. And therefore, yeah, I would say certainly entering the, certain, certainly entering the industry, it makes sense. To focus on on being able to, to provide value in a niche, and because I think that that's the way you can be most valuable to a company that you would you would be joining. Yeah, that that makes a lot of sense, and there's enough demand worldwide wherever you're listening to this podcast that your niche and your specialism uh, will, will be catered for. And there are lots of different niches you can train in: front end, back end, uh, DevOps. And I, I do agree with you, a full stack developer. I think there's no such thing as a true full stack developer because someone will always buy us towards one side like yes. i'm technically yes. a full stack developer but i am literally like 85 percent front end really like yes my title is software engineer but i i you know i'm, I'm really more or less a front end developer i know a bit of devops and i, I can write node.js but um you know it, it's one of those it's one of those things where i mean i, I think you might have showed me this uh, either tweet or linkedin post ages ago uh where it was um said, oh, so you want someone who can do React, uh, Node, Kubernetes, uh, Docker, C-sharp. That's not a developer. That's an IT department. Uh, <laughs> just, it it don't, does come back. I think I remember sharing that. But I think, yeah, I think, I think yeah, just, just, just to, to qualify my comment, I don't, I, I'm not, I don't, I don't um, deny the existence of the full stack developer. Um, but what I, but what I, but I think what, what's missing is just by using that term, it doesn't actually, you know, um, uncover what you've just said which is the fact that there will still be a bias in there towards one or the you know one or the other or, or it's not even one or the other it could be front end back end it could be infrastructure so i think yeah that's the point like full stack developers do exist and i would i would say that i'm i can cover full stack myself right but yeah that th there's certainly it's certainly not like that i'm a 100% competent in all of those things yeah yeah exactly and it's like uh, it's the same with every professional uh, professional like if you're if you're a marketing executive like 
you're probably going to have a specialism towards like content or uh, pay pay-per-click advertising or something like that. You're probably going to have a strength. Doesn't mean you can't do everything, but you're probably just going to be better um, better at one thing. So don't be don't be afraid to exploit your niche. And also as well, if you get really good at a niche, uh, it's basic economics that you're probably actually going to have a higher salary as well. Uh, because if you're really good at one niche skill, you're actually going to add more value to that uh, value to that company as well. So if you want to maximize your salary, which is obviously who doesn't like money, right? Uh, it's quite it's quite a good um, good strategy on a macro level. Obviously, I can't uh, I can't give exact data to, to back that up, but that's in theory how it should work. Yeah, I, I think I think that's that's perfectly reasonable. Um, yeah, and I, I just think it's a case of yeah, certainly as a junior person entering the industry, you wouldn't don't 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 allow like this the term full stack developer to, to, to distract you into thinking that, you know, you've got to be able to be competent in all of this stuff because it, it's, 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 it's a big learning journey. And, you know, in terms of how the industry evolves, you know, software engineering is still quite a, a, a young industry, right? If you look at, you know, how long, how long have human beings been constructing buildings? Like, you know, architecture in the engineer, you know, in in the kind of engineering sense, you know, kind of construction sense, is you know, is, is we have learned learned from hundreds of years of of, of doing things wrong and, and starting to do certain things right. In software engineering, we're still we're, we're still only talking decades, really, right? And yeah, it's it's um, with the industry evolves all the time, so it's forcing us all to co- to be on a constant learning journey. And if and if you in fact if you don't jump on that journey, then then you will fall behind to some extent, right? So, um, net, just always—I guess it's a case of always acknowledging that your your skills are, are never complete. Um, and but that, but then that's what makes that's what makes the whole thing the most fun, right? Is that it, there's always you're always learning about be- better ways of of solving solving the problems that you're facing. Absolutely, and it really it, it, the term lifelong learner really applies to software engineers. And if you want to sort of stay ahead of the curve, it's not like super high pressure, but uh, it's enjoyable to learn about new techniques. And uh, obviously, you'll have plenty of warning uh, if if you realise what you're using is getting out of date. Like, for example, like Flash developers back in the day had plenty of warning uh, that it was not going to win the war. <laughs> um, but yeah, it, it, it's it's one of those things. And um, what what you said about don't don't feel like you have to fit everything in a, in a uh, full stack role. I, I always wanted to really echo that myself as well, because something I see all the time for juniors is self-filtering. Don't self-filter. It, it's so bad. Like you see something on a nice to have on a job advert, uh, nice to have Kubernetes, like just because you've never used it, uh, you don't apply. Like, don't do that. The best thing you can do, even if it's required, you can explain, you know, I haven't used this professionally, but work on some kind of personal project, uh, make something small and show them what you've learned. Is such a good way of um, is such a good way of displaying your aptitude for it. Like for one role I, I I did as a junior developer, and I got the I got the job was I'd never used uh, Angular before, but I made a little like project in in Angular as part of the application process. And you know it was originally the sort of thing where they needed to hire someone who'd used it before, but uh, I was able to get through um, the process by showing that I was happy to learn because when you're a junior developer there, you aren't just hiring for, um, for actual programming expertise. You're also hiring for someone's capacity to learn. And there's, you have a great chance to, um, to display that. So don't self filter because that that's how you don't get that first job. Like the worst, like don't spam your CV and make sure it's, make sure it's a good application. But if it's a good application, the worst someone can say is no and, and, and thank you. But, uh, it's a, you know, I, I would say absolutely don't filter yourself out, whatever you do. Yeah. I, I, I echo that. 
Cool. And in terms of like we're talking about juniors now and and what we both uh, what we both did. I mean, if you could have gone back and changed anything about your career, is there, is there anything you would have changed, or are you a believer in don't change anything because you're happy with the outcome? Yeah. So. I mean, I feel like sounding like a pseudo intellectual with it, with the answer I, I would give to this, but actually, this yeah, but but it would be basically the latter, which is that you know every decision, every every decision you make in your life is going to have some well, with some exceptions, is going to have some positive outcomes and some negative outcomes, um, and I guess yeah, from my perspective, like I, I can certainly look at decisions I've made that have had negative outcomes. Uh, you know, I, I did a job. I, I did one job at a bank, which I won't name, uh, that that lasted three weeks. Um, and even after one day, I knew I'd made a mistake. And I just knew the culture wasn't for me. And so, yeah, it was. A, you could argue that that was a negative in in many ways. Um, but you know, there, but there is always there's pretty much always a positive to take. And the positive in that situation was that I had learned a lot. Actually, <laughs> I'd learned a lot about the types of working culture that were likely to be suitable for me and so what i'm so i guess yeah this kind of pseudo intellectual answer would be that every positive ha- has been something that shaped my, my my career in some way and and if i hadn't made those any of those decisions then i would have missed out on the positive things that i've i've got out of them so it's very very difficult for me to you know to justify why why i would why i would change anything because i think every single decision i've made has led has ultimately led to, to where I've got to now. Yeah, I, I agree. And people often say to me, like, do you regret working recruitment? And uh, I enjoyed doing the internal recruitment and that sort of thing anyway. I probably would have kept on doing that if I wasn't coding. Um, I hated agency recruitment, but do I regret it? Absolutely not. Like, I knew a little bit about coding because I used to play on a computer science football team in uni because they were short on numbers and some of my mates uh, asked me to play. Uh, but I, that was my entire exposure to coding. Then I went and started recruiting software engineers. And I was like, oh, wait a minute. This sounds pretty cool. And uh, this uh, engineer, I, uh, a couple of engineers I spoke to um, who I uh, tried to place into jobs in Berlin uh, really encouraged me to try and learn. And it, it set me down this path of, of learning. And, uh, you know, I had a miserable year of my life working, working in the agency where I didn't enjoy it at all. But I would do that a million times over again to to learn about a job that I absolutely love doing now. So if you're stuck in something in a bit of a rut now and you're doing a job you don't enjoy, but you can see a route out, then, you know, don't, don't feel regretful that you didn't discover coding when you were 12 because it's kind of whatever, like, yeah, fine. Some, some people discovered it early in life, but uh, the, the, the best time to plant a tree was 20 years ago. Uh, and the second best time is now. Uh, I'm not sure where that's from. It's probably from like Kung Fu Panda or something, but I still like the, still like the phrase. <laughs> Um, cool. So I think, um, I, I, I think I, I might've slightly exceeded the meeting slot that I set up for us. So, um, sorry about that, but, um, it's been really, really great having you on and catching up Andrew and, uh, I, I really appreciate it. And I think a lot of junior developers will have got a lot of insight, uh, from what you said. Um, is there anything you want to shout out about Claimer at the moment, either for entrepreneurs that are listening or for developers, um, that might be interested? Well, firstly, I'd, I'd just like to say yeah, thank you for having me on here. Um, uh, I, I, I will forgive you for for running over. Um, <laughs> it, 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 it's been a pleasure to it's been a pleasure to be part of this, and I think it's a great thing you're doing. Uh, I, I really admire 
admire what you're giving back, you know, you know, to 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 to, to everyone who's who's looking to you know to, to to make a career in this industry. So, so you can easily be forgiven for for overrunning. <laughs> Thank you. Um, in terms of um, in terms of shout outs, yeah, I mean, yeah, I would just say if if you're if you're someone who who likes interesting technical challenges and you you really care about culture, you know, company culture and values, then you know, I, I'm 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 going to be a big advocate for 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 the idea of coming to work with us at Claimer, um, and we are hiring at the moment for some engineering roles. So, if you, if you are listening to this podcast and uh, you are and and you're interested in a new challenge, then I'm sure Cameron will leave uh, so leave some links of you know to to, to Claimer's uh, vacancy site so you can check us out and and see whether you uh, whether we might. You know, fit 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 what it is you're looking for. So certainly, we'll leave them in the description. Beat me to it, uh, and uh, correct me if I'm wrong, uh, and I can edit it out if I am. Uh, but Claimer is at least semi-remote now, at the very least, isn't it? Uh, yeah. So we're we're off, we're operating a hybrid approach um, now. I mean, that's you know, reality is that's been somewhat dictated by by the pandemic. Um, we 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 have hired now fully remote um, engineers and 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 people in in other roles. Um, and that's the way we want to commit to going forward. I mean, the, the, you know, for me, the, big, the, the most important thing is that we recognize as a company that every, everyone has different requirements about, you know, in, in terms of working environment to, to help them get the best out of themselves. So for us, it makes absolute sense to, to build a company that gives people the option to work in the way that works best for them. So, yeah, for, for sure, like, even if you're not, if you're, if you're not, if you're not listening from London, you know, that, that doesn't mean you can't apply to us, basically. Good stuff. Uh, sounds great. So thank you again so much for your time. Uh, and uh, thank you as well, listeners, for tuning in once again. New episodes drop each Monday. You can check us out, codacareer.com. I think the website should be corrected and, uh, and up and running, but I think I've said that last three episodes running and it's still not. I've just been really busy, so apologies for that. Get in touch. I'm planning on doing a Q&A episode in a few weeks' time, so submit any questions to thecodeofcareer at gmail.com or you can find my LinkedIn in the description. But until next time, this has been Cam Blackwood with Andrew Easter for The Code of Career. See you next time. Thanks again for listening.